G'day and welcome to another episode of Spectrum Uncensored. Today I have with me Michael from North Brisbane. How are you? Not too bad, Jamie. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank you, you for going? coming along. So we're just going to talk a little bit about what you've been diagnosed with and I guess what you, you do with yourself on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I suppose for me, uh, I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD probably a little over two years ago now. Um, and I suppose getting there for me was a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a rough journey as far as, at least for me anyway, um, as far as kind of what happened, but, uh, definitely worthwhile finding out about because you kind of then start looking backwards at things like that and going, okay, so that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> so. Yeah, I definitely get that. Um, yeah. Same with me yeah. for when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, I think for me, when I kind of first, we, well, when we first started looking at it, it was actually my wife who kind of was giving me very much regular nudges of, of doing something about it, find out, because obviously, you know, the, the, uh, the trail of breadcrumbs you leave behind you <laughs> without actually knowing what it is tends to get extensive and, and starts impacting things. And that was around about probably about a year after COVID started um, and about two years after my daughter was born that kind of started um, like talking to people, asking serious questions. And even then it took probably what, two or three professionals to go to before one of them went, okay, look, that sounds like this, but you'll need to speak to somebody else because that's not my, not something I specialize in. Um, but somebody else will be able to help. And then yeah, we got the diagnosis and it was like, okay, yep, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So I know it was a difficult process to go through because part of finding out it's a possibility is then going, okay, so what does that actually mean? Um, what is a part of that? Um, you know, I'm not an organized person. I have to work very hard at being organized. And even then I probably still miss the boat. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, even, you know, the idea of people just saying, just write a list. It's, it's great. If you can remember the list, take it with you and you remember to use it. So, um, I discovered kind of, um, as we're going along now, I started learning more about ADHD. I started reading about it. Um, read a few different books um, that had seemed to have quite a lot of people reading them and seemed to be thought of reasonably well to start with. Um, and listened to some audio books when I was doing other things, just because I didn't always have time um, to kind of sit down and read a book. But it ticked so many boxes, like, um, not I don't manage time well. Um, at least I, and I was substantially worse at it. Uh, the there's always the cliche thing of going to the kitchen to make a coffee and making three trips to the fridge because you've got something else when you're there and then come back and you're standing in front of your coffee with like tomato sauce or something like that. Um, but there's other things as well because um, I found that because I didn't know what was happening, I lacked perspective on what it was doing around me as well. Um, and that frustrates other people that you live with or related to or work with as well, because you often end up leaving mess that either they have to try and compensate for, or, um, you know, it frustrates them because the, the lack of being able to keep track of time 
means either late to appointments or things like that. Yeah, and I think too that it's it's kind of the stresses that get you to a point where you're like, I need to have this checked because, like, as you say, you've now got a daughter, so you've got that extra responsibility and that that does put stress on you whether, you know, you care to admit it or not and it tends yeah. to, like, flare up a lot of the symptoms. Um, I know I found that with me. when I didn't really – I always knew I was different, but it wasn't until my ha- I had my son that the whole kind of world changed and yeah. it just – it was very stressful because all of a sudden you've got this little human that depends on you and you thought you had your, you know, stuff together and then you realise, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Yeah. yeah, hang on a minute. My, my version of together is not the same as, as what would be considered either normal or even anywhere near that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, uh, my husband's, um, he's autistic and ADD and yeah. that was quite a journey as well. Um, and it started out very similar. I kept bugging him going, there's something not right and he's got things like parkinson's in his family so he was very forgetful and things like that i I was always very frustrated with it and i just thought you know that there must be something going on you got to get checked and it took years for them to pinpoint it they went from adhd to bipolar and then finally settled with add um yeah so it can be quite a um an extensive journey it's not necessarily um cut and dry and yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm a, I'm eighty, sorry, ADHD and autistic, and yeah. I had a lot of trauma as a child. So for me, I was trying to work out: is it trauma that's causing me to be like this, or is it something more, or is it both? Like it, it was trying to kind of work out why we do what we do, and you do you, you become a lot more self accepting as well. And then the people around you, they just begin to understand a little bit better that like, okay, you actually can't control that and you need measures in place to be able to do those things. Yeah. I think um, one of the other things that happens sometimes too is if like for me that COVID, my daughter being born or everything, because like I went from working in contact with people in an office and also um, it was actually the trip to the office. Because you'd listen to um, you'd listen to music on the way, and you'd have some kind of activity that would kind of I don't know settle you, wake you up, or at least prepare you for the day without it being kind of like rolling down a hill at speed. Which yep. is when when COVID hit, then um, there was you know you'd wake up, you'd have to get the baby all taken care of, you'd be organising food stuff like this, trying to do housework. And then literally running from one room to another to start work. And then yep. your break comes along and you've got to get her to sleep. So you have to do a quick 15-minute trip around the block to get her to sleep and then put her down. And then six months into that, she just says, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not taking that nap anymore, Dad, on one day. And then she drew a line in the sand and didn't do it again. So I had no <laughs> yep. warning it was coming. <laughs> um, and that's hard so, because we're so routine-driven <laughs> and things like that and yeah. we get in a routine and it's like, oh, as soon as it changes. And with, with a baby, it's so unpredictable and yeah. it's just not something that is easily dealt with for us. So it's, um, yeah, kids definitely um, throw a spanner in the works and, and, and you can never really be 100% settled because, as I say, it's constantly changing with children as they grow. So um, it's yeah. definitely, I think, has been my biggest challenge. Um yeah, since finding yeah. out. So I know, um, I know it was all like before I got the diagnosis, whenever we went anywhere with a little one, I, w- I would pack the bag to the point where it was too heavy to carry for anyone else <laughs> because I've got, 
you know, wipes half a dozen changes of clothes and all this other stuff, and then there's other stuff put in the car. You've gone like um, the full MacGyver. <laughs> yeah, I got something for everything. The full MacGyver, and <laughs> um, so that would be my way of trying to make sure I haven't forgotten anything. I pack so much stuff; it looks like we're going somewhere for the weekend <laughs> um, when we're going down to Kmart or something. Yeah. Um, so knowing now that I've got you know, some issues around planning, prioritization, stuff like that. I can do some things to try and organize that, like my daughter's school stuff. I set up a separate email account, so all the school-related stuff or any medical stuff all goes through to that account. It doesn't go into my email I've had for 20 years, which is now well past the point where I can clean out the email. So <laughs> Relatable. I've got a few yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah, so I can try and do little things like that. And with things like activities on the weekend, I'll have, you know, one bag that all of this activity stuff goes in and another one and another one so that you know, in, in the event that either I've got lost track of time or got stuck on something, it's all organised and ready to go so I can just pick it up and go to the door. It's a, it's a shorter list of things that I need to get. But without that hindsight, you, you just you sit looking and go, okay, why do I only have 15 minutes left? I've got 20 minutes of the stuff that you've got no idea where the time's gone, you've no idea why the time has gone. Yep. And from and your perspective, or at least for me, it was I felt that my perspective on what I've been doing is normal. Why am I so short of time or what's what am I missing? I don't understand. And that's really frustrating. For I mean, everyone it's your else, but also <laughs> it's your normal but Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um I couldn't like I couldn't understand why there were problems. I couldn't, and for me also, um, I'm not a, not that great at picking up some of the social cues and stuff like that. So for me, it was also a case of okay, why why is this now a problem? I don't understand what what happened. Um, I, I always kind of I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I'm in mm -hmm. hyper focus mode, it's almost like the the time actually slows down, but it it obviously isn't. But yeah. for me, it feels almost like time has slowed down because I'm calm in that hyper-focused kind of situation. And then, of course, when you kind of spring out of that and back into reality, um, that's when you realise, no, time didn't slow down. It's now been six hours <laughs> and the sun's going down kind of thing. So I guess that's the way I would describe it is it, it feels like your time almost slows down when you're in that zone. It, it, it does. It's, it's obviously still barreling away in the background, but for you, it's, you, you just kind of it's kind of one step after another. You're knocking things over, which, you know, for ADSD is great because that's, you know, you've got a win, you've got some dopamine and it's it's a snowball effect. But then you're like, what do you mean everyone went to bed an hour ago? <laughs> um, okay. So I think at one stage um, I was doing some study on a uni assignment probably about a year and a half ago now. And I was doing, I was actually studying a little bit of programming stuff and, for me, I actually found it quite interesting, so I hadn't touched it before. But um, I got stuck into it, and I was at it for hours, and I had no idea how much time had passed. And I, I got everything I needed to do knocked over, which was absolutely great. But then there's like you know, two thirds of the day is gone. Yeah. Um, and everyone's grumpy because you've been missing <laughs> in action. Well, <laughs> they knew I was going to be missing, but I was hoping I'd surface at some point through it. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, it was just, and for me, it was weird because I've never really been able to kind of focus on anything that long. Um, well, look, some things, yes, but not not for like length of that time. Computer games, sure, no problems. But I mean, that's yep. not unusual. Um, but yeah, so it was, 
definitely a learning experience. Um, the other aspect of it too, which I suppose requires some adjusters when you first find out you've got to deal with the kind of baggage of going, okay, well, now what? And, you know, then all the frustration or baggage you've got from growing up and going through life with it as well. Um, and I'm sure there's probably some people out there who feel it too, where especially people have gone through school and I think the old style report cards of going, no, would do better if applied self and stuff like that. Yeah, um, if they could yeah, just be focused. If they could just <laughs> be focused, still. yeah. If they could just be focused, they would be happier too. <laughs> but, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like going through high school, I um, I did excellent at science. I was great at science. I think I got what, a VHA in year 10 for science um, and I still passed it in senior, even though I did very little of the actual work um, in, as far as assignment work goes. Um, but it was like chalk and cheese when you compare it to something like what I did in English. Hmm. Um, because the English assignments tend to be a lot more subjective, there's less structure, and the content just wasn't anywhere near as interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah so I mean, was... I found through high school, I was very similar. I, if I wasn't interested in it, I failed at it. Um, yeah. I had to be, I was all in or nothing. And I was the opposite to you. I loved English, so I excelled in that. I was A's everywhere. Um, math no good. Um, yeah. Science, I passed, but when I started doing things like biology and physics, I realized it was just another lesson of math and it was like, no, nope, not doing that. So I just shut down. Um, yeah. And that was when I would, yeah, not succeed very much. So I was kind of, I was academic in areas that interested me, but um, I did a second language and I got A's in that. But yeah, I just couldn't, maths and science, I just couldn't quite throw myself into I suppose but everyone has their their interests and um and I still to this day like to write and things like that yeah. so I guess that's I was always just more interested in in English and writing and things like that but it's funny yeah uh, how we how we if we'd known what we know now back then it would just made things a whole lot easier <laughs> absolutely um and I know I frustrated my poor English teacher because I had her for both English and science and she, she had me flunking on one side and top of the class now they could not work out what was going on. Yeah, um, well, nobody could, so. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. So um, I think, I think though, the, um, yeah, like in, in hindsight, it would be great to know those things and actually, you know, have had different opportunities than what you have. But the other thing is too is like, I mean, I've, daughter now I'm able to actually do do some do something of my own and I wouldn't necessarily have those opportunities if I hadn't gone that road it may have turned out different so yeah absolutely um, definitely not an easy experience and I'm, I know there's people out there who will definitely have had worse ones as well but um yeah I think sometimes I mean, our trauma it, builds character to some extent <laughs> I yeah suppose, in a way yeah I know in high school, I was always the, the socially awkward person. I I hated, like, standing up in front of class, like, did everything I could to avoid it. Um, but then, like, years later, I kind of spent a lot of time working on the phones in a variety of different roles as well. And from that side, I then I kind of, I suppose, refined or fine-tuned how I talk to people in those environments as well. Um, yeah. Got a lot, got a lot better at it. 
um, you know, 40 hours a week talking to people kind of one after another like that gives you that opportunity to kind of, even if you're bad at it at the start, you can refine if you kind of look at what you do and then kind of fine tune and pay attention and stuff like that. And kind of, I discovered that the, the actual missing link for that whole process wasn't actually the talking, it was the listening. Yeah. Um, which is one of the hardest things to train people. In. <laughs> I think, um, people talk about masking things all the time. And yeah. I feel like for us, we, they make it sound like you've just got like two personalities, but you really, when you're masking, you're masking for different situations. So you have several masks. And I think that yeah. kind of sounds very similar to what you're saying in that you've refined in that you've got a mask for that particular um, set of circumstances. And then you've kind of gone, okay, well, this is my, personality or or my demeanor or whatever or in yeah. that certain situation i mean we do it in social situations our home self is different to our public self and things like that so it's um yeah it's, as i say as I said before it's not cut and dry it's very um yeah erratic <laughs> kind of yeah and it's, it's yeah it's, and it's kind of strange because you um you can you, you sometimes you feel like you can make connections in one environment, but you end up in the other one. You're going, okay, so what am I doing here? <laughs> it's like, yeah. got no idea. Um, and you know, like unfortunately, uh, like I've got a whole bunch of friends, uh, good friends. They like football. They like sports. I have no idea. I mean, I like playing it. It's fun watching it. It would be like watching it will put me to sleep. Um, yes. Yep. <laughs> so, um, as a result, as I'm talking about football, and it, it may as well be a foreign language because I've, you know, I might know some of the team names, but that's, you know, I couldn't tell you where they were half the time. Who's on? Yep. No idea. Yeah. My um, husband's like that. He's like, you make yeah. me talk about more footy than I just like ever thought I would, and mm. he's like, I've had to learn all of it, and <laughs> it's not something I really want to learn, but I'll do it for you. So it's, yeah. yeah, it is. It's funny, isn't it? It is, um, and. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a strange thing because like I I know for me I've my my hobbies have been kind of more or less how I ended up finding my kind of group of people that are fitted in in high school. So um, things like um, tabletop gaming, computer games, um, critical card games, and stuff that was kind of what I got into in high school and have been since then. So that's close to thirty years now. Still, yep. still doing it when I have time. Um, but uh, like I've met friends who I'm still friends with. Um, I've um, worked uh, with people and for people from the connections I made there. Um, and then in hindsight, when you look back, you know, you go, okay, so now with a new understanding of, of kind of what to look for and stuff, I was like, okay, that makes so much more sense. It's like, you know, half or two thirds of the people I'm, I'm working with are, likely on the spectrum somewhere or I was going to say diagnosis. So, that was my next question is do you think yeah. like all your friends are on the spectrum because I feel like when people throw out oh I play World of Warcraft and Dungeons and Dragons I think that should be on the DSM-5 criteria for, <laughs> for autism because yeah, <laughs> it's very common it, it, it is um, and I think for me it's been kind of one of the more accepting groups or slash communities because you know, people tend to be a little bit eccentric and you have the, the mm. older people who are eccentric and don't you know care whether or not they're eccentric. 
then you've got the younger people who've, who've got obviously more recent medical knowledge and know there's a diagnosis there, but they don't really care. They kind of fit in with that group. Yep. Um, and it's, for me, I think that was um, uh, probably, you know, I think made a massive difference to me in the scheme of things because once I found that group I fitted with, then, you know, that was great. I had something in common with people. There's, you know, a lot more social opportunities. You'd go to clubs or other stuff like that. Um, I'd even travel with groups of friends to events in other states and stuff like that too. So um, definitely had lots of fun, made lots of friends doing that, that type of thing. And um, yeah, it still has my interest. It just doesn't have as much of my time as it used to. <laughs> it's that safety in numbers, I think. Like you, yeah. you're in a group of people that just get each other. And I think that's that would even be the case with people that are neurotypical. You know, you're looking for people that are like-minded and that you feel yeah. safe in that environment with those people and supporters. So um it's no real different in that regard but yeah it there tends to be very kind of niche areas in which people yeah. Yeah, gravitate towards yeah yeah but i do love yeah. that that's um i look at things in hindsight um for me for high school and i tended to um hang around with just other people that were just lost souls and we kind of just became our own little group but the majority of them were very much like that it was all into the you know the games and things like that but yeah um but yeah and i'd love to actually see where they are now because i have a feeling a lot of them would um have been diagnosed but yeah it's um yeah it's it's definitely I find it's empowering to know your diagnosis or your diagnosis just because you can, you know, the whole knowledge is power thing. You can um, help yourself. Um, yeah. You're not going to, as I say, there's not a cure. It's not a cure. It's, um, and you, it's doesn't mean you're any different once you know, but it's just that knowing um, it hits differently when you know for sure. Cause you always suspect, I think um, deep down you have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I'm pretty sure for me it was deep down. Like you know, I know I'm not as organised as other people, and that was always a struggle for me, and and other things as well. So, but it, like I had no idea it was actually a thing other than just kind of that's that's how I operated, which didn't really fit kind of up fit a um I don't know what kind of a, a pigeonhole, so to speak. Mm, um, yeah. But it was definitely interesting finding out learning about it was a bit of a difficult process because obviously you read about kind of things and stuff like that and then you go well look you know this would have been great to not really deal with that the pain and the frustration you have from that because it's there you just don't kind of realize until you actually start looking at it with a probably more of a fine tooth comb um but yeah it definitely makes a difference because you can you can change how you do some things you can try and structure things differently you know try and uh, replace old habits which aren't positive ones with good ones um and you also know that it's 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 not you who's broken if for one for some reason one one method of doing something doesn't work you just need to try and find the one that does um yeah. like pen and paper diary or, or writing notes by hand still works better for me than doing it on a computer and then filing it somewhere yeah, um, I'm the same. <laughs> I've tried I've tried apps I've tried calendar reminders and, and alarms and um, it's just not as effective as, as having like a visual reminder of it. Um, yep. I find I can forgive myself as well for my flaws, my flaws a little bit more so now in that like knowing that I'm wired a certain way and I'm not 
failing as such. It's just that, you know, I do things differently, as you say. Um, yeah. yeah, it's that like self-forgiveness a little bit because you beat yourself up a lot. Um, you know, you're your own worst critic. So um, oftentimes it, it is, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? Why can't I do this? And so you, once you know why you can't, it's, yeah, it's a little bit more, it's almost uplifting, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I think it also it does allow you to try and be a bit more aware of some of the social interaction things like, um, like I know when I, when I talk to people, I jump topics. That's one of the things that I do. Cause you know, it's like, oh, while I'm here, I thought of this as well. And it's like, that's okay. Why are we talking about that? Um, or what's, what's the connection? Um, yep. I've, I've seen people in my family do that and I've really struggled to keep pace with the conversation. They've jumped, they'll jump between topics and so on. I know I do it. Um, and I also know that when I'm talking with people, I have to be mindful that I don't jump in and interrupt because there's that, yeah. oh, oh, I've got to share this before I forget it type of impulse. And it's like, okay, I've got to just hold on a second. <laughs> There'll be a spot somewhere. Yeah, um, we're all the same, I think, with that. And yeah. I always say <clears throat> it's the same as like when you go out and you've got to do something and then you remember something else you need to do. And I always just say, you know, I've done like 20 side quests today, but I have not completed the actual quest. That's for another day, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so. it's, it's like helping someone else organize their entire lounge room and then coming back to your desk that looks like a dumpster fire. <laughs> so yeah. It's just like I can tackle that, which is five times the size, but I don't want to touch that desk. Yeah. Um, and I just love talking to different people that all have the same diagnoses, but everyone's so different but there's so many things that are exactly the same like i have everybody has said that stuff um yeah. in their own way but it's just yeah it really it makes you realize that there's so many of us like it's not yeah you're not alone yeah. with your feelings exactly yeah and i think um i think uh, i was lucky with the the group that i kind of fell in with after to school and my hobby and stuff like that in that they are obviously more accepting of those oddities partially because they probably have some of them themselves, but they just tend to not really be that judgmental because it tended to be a bit of a niche group anyway that was always on the fringe of the regular stuff in high school. Yeah. Um, so they tended to be, yeah, okay, so you, you know, maybe a little odd, that's fine, whatever, and then move on. Um, and then everyone would have a kind of a communal laugh about some things when you did something that just didn't make sense. Um, it's weird when it's like it's literally um, described as odd but yeah. you fit into it. So it's like, I mean, exactly. obviously being odd it's, means not fitting in, but it, yeah, you fit into something odd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's odd, but not unexpected for everyone in the group. So it's, <laughs> yeah, not in, I suppose in the skin, he's not that odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like I've, I, I got a, a lot out of those hobbies, um, still do. Um, it's, but yeah, it's definitely been, been interesting. And I know it's, um, I think, I was never great at a, at a lot of those organisation things before. I was definitely better, but once kind of COVID started, there was that massive culture shock. We went from having contact with people to having none. So the people that I would catch up with on the weekend didn't see them for months. Um, might see them via like Discord or uh, you know something else uh, like video conference or something, but it's it's not the same. Um, no and you're not seeing people in the office and you kind of, we didn't leave the house probably the first few months much anyway. Um, so you've got that 
the cabin fever you need to get out of the house, your routine has been destroyed. Those kind of coping mechanisms, whether they were great ones at the time or not, are also out the window as well. <laughs> and, you know, new child, for your first child too, is stressful because, you know, you have no idea what you're doing and you're always worried about what you're doing is the right thing or not. Or, you know, if they try to eat that piece of, you know, furniture or something like that, is it going to be really, really bad for them? Um, yeah, just... It was a double isolation because you're always slightly isolated when you first have a child and then yeah. you had the COVID on top, so you had no choice but to be isolated. Yes, and doing PowerPoint-based training via like Microsoft Teams and stuff like that um, just was mind-numbing. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was so difficult to remain focused because it was so boring. Um, <laughs> it's not the same as having a person talk to you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't you can't all talk at the same time in Microsoft Teams because everyone hears nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So did you start your business? Because we were talking about that just before we yeah. started recording. Did you start that? I mean, what is that for a start? But also, yeah. did you start that during COVID, or when did you start it? We started the kind of the setup and registration process with a plan to get the rest of the ball rolling, kind of just just as COVID was kind of picking up because the idea was like. COVID will happen, they'll, they'll sort some of our vaccine, people will be fine. We didn't know it was going to be the train wreck it was, just like everyone. <laughs> um, so uh, we had started it then, and just because of everything that happened, it really slowed down our ability to get that stuff done. And obviously we had my daughter, the remote work, all of that complicated things. But um, the idea was like we wanted to create um, a disability service provider Um not necessarily, I suppose, unique compared to everyone else in the industry, but we kind of had a strong focus on um, making sure that uh, we get the right amount of understanding for the people we work with, because there's a lot of, I still see it now sometimes, that people kind of assume they know what other people want or need. And yep. it doesn't replace a conversation uh, and it doesn't, replace a connection um, and it's just, it's so impersonal and that's kind of not what the NDIS is meant to be. It's meant to be personal. It's meant to be kind of connecting with people and it's meant to be helping them do things. It's not just kind of finding something to build someone for and then moving on. It's yeah. actually going, is this making a difference? Okay, cool. If it's not, what can we do to make it better? Um, and then applying that same approach to the staff. So, okay, you know, how are you going? You know, do you need help? What do you need to know? Things like that. That type of stuff is important because uh, a lot of places, and not just our, not just this industry either, but every industry, they talk about um, culture and everything like that. But it's not always top down, and it should be, because otherwise it it never gets sustained. As soon as you end up with a couple of layers, then you it doesn't get sustained. It doesn't get passed down to the people below um, so that they feel supported and they're able to support other people. So Yeah, I think like upskilling is a good example, isn't it? That yeah. it, if you don't continue to replenish those skills and improve on those skills, you, you're not going to be able to do the job, but also it's going to be a whole lot harder for you because you're not, you don't know what you're doing. Well, yeah, upskilling is one part of it, but it's also about having... Uh, an attitude that you bring to what you're doing, have an attitude of, okay, um, like who is this person? Um, what do they want? What do they need? What are their unique challenges? 
um, what can we do to help them get what they want or need? Um, and then as we're going along that process, what can we do that does a better job of doing that? Um, and it comes from bringing a learning attitude to it, and that's attempting to understand the other person. You, you may never understand everything that they've gone through and all of the challenges, but you know you need to listen, you know you need to be alert, you know you need to pay attention for how they're attempting to communicate. How, whatever so it's that investment. That it's like that yeah, personal investment into it. You, it's not just uh, people are a number or you've ticked the box and calling it exactly. a day kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... You know, the same has to come from management. They need to kind of try and apply the same approach to the staff that are working for them and find out, ask questions. What motivates you? What helps you? Um, you know, what's a problem for you is, you know, how can we work together to make sure that we both, um, you know, get something of value out of this and then the person that we're assisting, you know, gets their value as well. So it's a, a partnership approach. Um, mm. And if you just assume that everyone's motivated by this or that, then you're not really kind of in, investing in them either. So, yeah, I love that. That's um, yeah, that sounds like a quite a unique approach, which is really nice because yeah, it's definitely um something that needs to be implemented across the board, especially when it comes to neurodivergence. So, yeah. it's um, that's really really cool. And just to finish up, if yeah. you had somebody that wasn't diagnosed but thought that maybe they were or they suspected that they were on the spectrum or um or the like what would you say to them what advice would you give to them i would say find out first of all find out what it takes to get diagnosed um because it would be pretty painful to get halfway through the process and not be able to finish it um, you can also do a little bit of research via books on kind of what that might mean for you, because if you've been dealing with this through, you know, a longer period in your life, you're going to have some trauma from it somewhere. Um, so find out what's involved in getting diagnosed. If you feel that you need to, or if it's worthwhile for you, get diagnosed so that you have an understanding of, um, kind of what that means for you as far as how it presents, how can you, um, create positive habits, mitigate some of the ones that you've got that you maybe either can't get rid of or are going to require a bit more work, which everyone has some. Um, and then uh, talk to your friends and family and, and kind of, if you can, try and give them a, a little bit of a summary of how it presents so they have some understanding and then be patient with them because sometimes the, the issue is like obviously our behaviours will impact other people too. Um, and sometimes we need to understand that and be a little bit patient with them too. I love that. That's some sound advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming um, in today and having a chat with me. I really appreciate taking the time. And it was definitely very lovely to meet you and have a chat. Yeah, You're actually the first too. guy that I've interviewed. So there you go. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get many men um, put their hands up. So it's very refreshing. <laughs> It's kind of, it's a little bit, I think, hard for kind of men to deal with this other stuff. It wasn't easy for me either, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult process, but yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully um, it'll be a lead by example type situation and I'll get a few more um, men having a chat because it is important yeah. to keep that conversation going and to include yeah, yeah, men as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank right. you so Thanks much for your time. Thank Cheers. you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.